Hey, people tonight. How you doing? You nines? Rock and roll? Good stuff? You guys are hanging with us. I like it. Well, um, the saying goes, right, that there's often two sides to every story. Two sides to every story. But I reckon as well that you could say that there's two sides to most people as well. Two sides to most people. Who knows who Kim Jong-un is? Oh, that was like 98% more than I thought would. Well, Kim Jong-un, if you don't know, is uh, the leader of North Korea, like a president or something. He's something, right? He's the ruler. Um, Now, to us, Australians, Americans, he's kind of just a bit of a meme. Like, he's just... He's super weird, because all that we kind of get of him is like, he's kind of doing something in North Korea, and we just get these weird pictures of him visiting random places that just make zero sense. So like this, we just get this picture, and we're like, I don't know what that is, maybe he likes noodle. he looks like he likes noodles a little bit, but we just get, or like this, that's just, they're potatoes. Like, I have no explanation for that photo at all, except that he's a meme, or like he's at a kid's sock store like measuring the socks, like are they this big? Like I don't know what he's doing. And that's kind of all we get of Kim Jong-un is just these weird meme photos of him. He's just, he's just a meme to us, right? But that's, that's not who he is in North Korea, if you ask someone over there. Um, North Korea is super weird. They've got this media ban kind of thing. So we, you can go home on, on your phone, you can look at the internet, get news from all over the world. That's not the case in North Korea. It's like super constrained and things are blocked out and they've got their own country's internet. And so lots of information uh, North Koreans can't really get to. And so this is what is put out onto their internet about Kim Jong-un. Here's here's my favourite three facts about Kim Jong-un that they, they talk about. First one, he could drive when he was three years old. That's pretty impressive. Three-year-old can drive. I like that. Uh, Kim Jong-un, he also, if you didn't know this, he invented the hamburger. That's a fun fact. Their, their president, president just invented the hamburger. And this is my personal favourite one. This, this is a good one. Um, when he was born, you won't believe this, right? Magic happened. Magic happened. The moment he was born, a rainbow appeared. This is, I'm not making this up, by the way. A rainbow appeared and the stars shone brighter. And on, at that exact moment, the season changed from winter to spring because of his birth. Wow. Give me a wow. 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 That's Kim Jong-un, right? We kind of think of him as like some weird meme lord. And over there, he's just some actual lord. It's just super weird. You ask different people about him and you're going to get these totally different answers. And I think that's, you get that with a lot of people. There's two different sides to a lot of people. But I think depending on who you speak to, you'll find very different conversations about who God is as well. It depends on who you, on who you speak to. Because a lot of people think of God and talk about God like He's all love. He just shows love. He never judges. He just loves people all the time. That's who God is. But not everyone thinks like that, do they? Here's a quote. You might have heard this before. This is a quote from a guy called Stephen Fry. Right? He's like a, a comedian and an author and he does a bunch of stuff. And someone asked him, if you ever met God, what would you ask him? What would you say to him? This was his answer. I would say, how dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is so much misery that isn't our fault? It's not right. It's utterly evil. 
Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? That is what I'd say. That was his answer. And I reckon that's a really common view of God. That, that God is all about anger and he's all about judgment. And he's, whenever he gets the chance, he's happy to just slap people around and slam them. He loves judging people. But they're two really different sides of God, right? And people hold both those views. And so the question of what, who is God, what is he like, it will cut to the heart of everything in the Bible. And it will actually cut through anything in your life. What is God actually like? And, and so some of you might have heard some of those, like, stuff like those quotes before from Stephen Fry. And some of you might go, yeah, God does sound like a jerk. Stuff I've heard about him doesn't sound very good at all. Why would I want to believe in a God like that? Sounds like a jerk. And, and some of you who are Christians, right, you, you know in your head, oh, God, God's not like that. I know that. But deep down in you, there's this, there's this little thing, kind of like, picking away, that is saying, well, yeah, what is up with that? What is up with God judging? And it picks away you, little bit by little bit. And so the question is, what is God like? Because knowing who God is and what He's like and what He does is vital. You need to get it if you're going to be able to trust Him. That's the same with any person, right? And and we're going to see tonight what God is like out of these chapters of Hosea. We're going to be looking through a couple of chapters, but we've been going through Hosea for a bunch of weeks now. If you come in new, we just look at a book of the Bible and go through it. We're going to see what is God like. And the first big thing we're going to see is that God is a God of judgment. God is a God of judgment. We've, if you've been with us the past couple of weeks, you would know, right? We've been going through and you would know that God is a God of judgment because we've seen it in a bunch, a bunch of the chapters, right? You might have remembered Here's a couple of verses that spell it out from from chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 7. I think most of it's going to come up on the screen for you. So if you don't have a Bible, don't freak out. Uh, 9, verse 7. The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this. So Israel, God's people, God's saying punishment's coming. Punishment's coming for you. 9, verse 15. Because of all their wickedness in Gilgal, we'll get to what that means in a second, I hated them there. Because of their sinful deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebellious. God says, I hate the wickedness of my people. I hate it. And because of that, I'm kicking them out. I'm judging them. And when he says that, he's talking about kicking them out of the land that they're in. God's given them the promised land that they're in. And he says, no more, I'm kicking you out of it. I'm judging you for what you've done. And and it's going to happen, right? Assyria, a country to the north, so up here. Then you've got Egypt, a country kind of down here. They're both coming and they're wrecking Israel. They're smashing them. They're going to take them off into captivity. And that's God's judgment. And that's huge for them, being taken out of their country. A chunk of their country just slaughtered. Judgment for what they've done. And I wonder what your reaction to that is. What's your reaction to hearing God's judgment on them? I think that a chunk of you will think, that's pretty harsh. Seems a bit drastic. Sounds like God's kind of over-punishing. Sounds like what Stephen Fry would say, right? 
That sounds like that type of God. Is that the case? Is God overpunishing? Has he lost the plot? Well, there's, you kind of need to know something in order to answer that question, right? And what you need to know in order to answer that question is, what are they being punished for? That makes sense, right? We've got to figure out what are they being punished for? And what you'll see as we go through this is that Israel are being punished by God for being evil. They are evil. And, and, and not just they're currently evil at this point, but they have been evil for generation after generation after generation. If you go through chapters 9 to 11, we're not going to go through all of it, but all these like random place names are popping up. You might have noticed something, G-teams or something today. All these random place names are coming up that you probably just got no idea about. It's places like Baal Peor, there's Gilgal, there's Gibeah, there's Bethel, right? And on all those places... When Hosea is writing it now, he's saying that's an event, that's a place where Israel had committed drastic, big sin in the past. And he's bringing it up to remind them of their sin. So um, Baal Peor, right, and, there's, and Bethel, they're these places where Israel in the past had disobeyed God, had gone and worshipped other gods, even though God had just brought them out of Egypt. They, they go and worship other gods. They sleep with random neighbouring countries when God's forbidden them to, that they disobey their God. In Gibeah, right, this is a horrible story, where one of the towns in Israel, they, they knock on a door of a, of a couple and they, they, they try and rape a man there. And he's, he doesn't want that. And so he gives them his own wife. And she dies. These are, this is horrendous, right? These are massive, massive moments of sin and absolute evil. And they're not just things that have happened just in the past. And God's saying, I'm judging you for something that's happened all the way back there. But they keep on being like that evil. Generation after generation, after generation. So in Hosea 10, it will say, since the days of Gibeah, that incident, you have sinned, Israel, and there you have remained. They're still like that. God's people, Israel, have turned away from God, and the signs of that are really clear. And so he's punished them. And he's warned them, over and over and over again. Stop, all this is coming. Stop, all this is coming. And they just refuse to. They keep doing what they're doing. This is a big call, but I I don't think anyone here would say that's an unreasonable thing of God anymore, having heard that. When you hear of the crimes committed, punishment makes more sense. In fact, God's judgment of that is no longer a an ouch thing where you hear it and you're like, ugh, I hope that didn't happen. It's, it's actually a good thing when you hear of God judging. Because if God didn't judge evil when it happened, it would just show that God didn't care about evil, right? I used to, um, before, before I kind of worked here, I did primary teaching. I love primary teaching. It was good fun. Uh, and I did a prac up at Canwell. Ooh, and the mood just went down in the room when I said Canwell. A little bit, everyone's like, "Ooh, I wonder what happened up there." Has anyone even been there? It's creepy, All right? So I did a prac up in Canwell, uh, and there was this kid, and he was like the pits. He was the worst person 
on the planet. That's a big call. He was like seven. But he was like, I really did not like this kid. He was, uh, he was the worst. And one day, he like caused this fight in the classroom. He's seven. Anyway, he caused this fight in the classroom and the teacher was like freaking out. And I came in from the other room trying, and then he ran. He just bailed. And so there's teachers in the school like, I don't know what to do. And so they went and they're trying to find this kid. Spent not like a good hour, two hours trying to find this kid. And eventually they did. Like he's not still running around somewhere crazy. But we found him, and so his mum comes to pick him up, and I don't know how this happened, but I got the job of going and talking to the mum as the practice student, and so I went up, and I'm like, hello, Mrs. X, uh, I don't know why this is my voice, that should be her voice, right, <laughs> but you, you, like, your kid, Bob, not his real name, your, your kid, Bob, worst dude in the world, caused a fight, ran away, and she, oh, I can see it in my brain, that's how much it annoys me, she, she looked at me like this. Like, you know the head tilt? Do you get the head tilt? She goes, oh, what are you going to do? Come on, kids. And they just left. And I just sat there like, well, that is just not how I thought this was going to go. I thought she was like, ah, well, let's just punish him. I didn't want her to smack him, actually. But like, I thought she would care a bit more than like, ah, what are you going to do? Let's go to the Maccas. Like, she just did not care at all, which showed that what I told her had happened, she just did not care about. She just didn't think it was a big deal, right? Her reaction shows how much she cared about that thing. It annoys me so much, right? But God, He cares about evil. The God of the universe hates, hates evil. And because He hates evil that happens, He's got to punish it. He can't just say, what are you going to do? And, and bail off, right? That's good news for our world that God cares about evil and will judge it. It's good news. Because it means that things that have gone wrong here, people who do wrong, will be judged. Because God has promised to judge every person on this earth based on what they've done. A promise from God. And so Hitler, who orchestrated the regime that killed over 6 million men, women, kids... And then, as, as the story goes, would just kill himself in his house without punishment. What happens? What happens? Joseph Stalin, some of you history guys might know, leader of the Soviet Union, responsible from anywhere. The number is so big that people just don't know how many. Anywhere from 20 million to 40 million, some would say 50 million people under his lead, dead. He dies in his home. We have the comfort of knowing that evil like that, while it looks like it's gone unpunished here, they will be punished. They'll be judged. That's a good thing. But even some of you have been hurt in different ways, a bunch of different ways by different people. And some of them, when they, when they do that evil to you, when they hurt you, and you see that nothing happens because of it, they're not punished for it. There's no judgment for it. What do you feel when that happens? Those people will be judged for what they've done to you. Those who have hurt you and done any kinds of wrong. God has promised to judge people for what they've done. 
We don't, we don't want a God who looks at sin, who looks at murder, who looks at oppression, who looks at racism, sexism, rape, genocide, theft, child abuse. We don't want a God who shrugs his shoulders at that, do we? We don't want that. That's a God who's untrustworthy, but that is not our God. Because our God judges those who do wrong. His judgment is good news. It's good news. But if you stop and you, and you think about it for a second, it's also really bad news for us. It's good news, but it's also bad news. Because the big sin of Israel, right, wasn't just those specific instances there and there. That time you did this thing, that time you did... That's not what their big sin was. Theirs is the continual rejection of the God who made them. That's Israel's big sin. Their big sin wasn't just the things they'd done to other people. Their big sin was the way that they treated God. And we've all treated God bad. We're in the same boat. I take it, and I trust, you haven't sinned the amount that Hitler has, or that Stalin did, or that even Israel did at times. But we have rejected God the same. And so we too deserve the judgment that Israel do. And just like the Israelites are warned time again of the judgment coming because of that, so are we. Time and time again in the Bible. You need saving, I need saving, from the judgment and anger of God. Have you ever thought of that? God is angry at people. I speak to some of you who put off Jesus, who have thought about it and think that this Christian stuff is probably legit, as far as you can tell, but you just keep putting it off and putting it off. This passage is warning you, stop putting it off. Don't put it off a single day more than you need to, because God is angry and He's warned and He's warned and He's warned. And there's a way to have hope in it. And this is why chapter 11 of Hosea is just this epic chapter that we're going to look into now. Because the God of judgment isn't all that He is. Because God is a God of love. He spent, we've seen chapters among chapters of, of God and Hosea 4, God telling His people that He's going to judge them, that He's going to wipe them, that He's going to kick them out into neighbouring nations. But there's a massive change in chapter 11, and you can't miss it, right, just by reading it. Check it out with me. It should come up on the screen. I want you to, as we read this, I want you to just try and get the vibe. Get the vibe of God in this. Don't worry about all the specific words. I want you to try and get the vibe of what you reckon God is like to read these verses. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Can you hear the love there? But the more that they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, other gods, and they burned incense to images. God loved them, but they kept turning away. It was I who taught Ephraim, that's Israel, to walk. 
taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with tides of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. What is the tone? What is the vibe of that? A God who loves his people. A God who loves his people. The next verses. Will they not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? This is the judgment. A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn away from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. God has this deep, deep love for his people, but he must judge them for the wickedness they've committed. And so what's God, how's that going to work? <laughs> how's that love and that judgment, how's that going to work together? Check out the next verse. It's another kind of big change. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Admar? How can I make you like Zeboim? These were cities that God had destroyed in the past. Saying, how can I do that to you? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. God relents. He doesn't carry out his anger in all of its fullness towards them. And that's not to say that he doesn't judge them, right? Because he does judge them. That kind of wiping out, that happens in history. But there's the promise of God to bring them back from that. Verses 10 and 11. Uh, that they will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion, and when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering uh, like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. And so God doesn't unleash all of his anger at his people. He judges them, but with this merciful and loving hope of return. He doesn't just wipe them out. Why, why does he do that, though? Whenever I hear of God's mercy in the Bible like that, I'm kind of struck a bit to go, why doesn't he just give up on these people? Because he doesn't owe them anything. They keep turning from him time and time again. Why does he keep doing it? I can see two, two reasons in this passage for that. The first is in verse 9. It's in bold for you on the screen. Because... I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. God isn't a person. He's not like us. He doesn't act the same way that we do. He doesn't act the same way towards people that we would expect. He's the Holy One. He's the perfect one. He's the one that's separate from anything and everything else. He's separate from every other being. We as people, right, we, um, we retaliate to things pretty often. We overstep the mark often and we treat them as we think they deserve and we go after people. Like, I get angry if I go to the fridge and there's no milk. Like, I am just livid at that. I don't even know at who. It's my fault probably, but I'm just angry. And that's what people are like. We, I, don't, I wonder what small things tick you off heaps. That's my thing. No milk in the fridge. If you want to buy me something, buy me some milk. All right? But God's not like that. God's nothing like that. He loves to show mercy. He delights in forgiving people. He delights in loving people. 
And you see this everywhere. All the language of Israel being his son, 11 verse 1. How, how he taught them to walk, how he led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. God is the God of love. He loves his people. He delights in loving them. And he loves all people. God's active choice is to show love to people. Because he is love. And with Israel... Time and time again, when they turn away from him, he loves them time and time again. Over and over and over, he chooses to love them when he doesn't need to. Who is a, um, who, who's a Lord of the Rings fan? So we have more people who know Kim Jong-un than like Lord of the Rings. That's an interesting statistic, right? I love Lord of the Rings. I love everything about Lord of the Rings. I love that they go for like 100 hours each. I dig it, all right? I love Lord of the Rings. But there's one thing I hate about Lord of the Rings. One person I hate. That's Frodo. I hate Frodo. He's the worst he just whinges and he whinges and he's, uh, ring. And I just can't stand. It's like Harry, I hate Harry Potter. Yeah. You all sound like Frodo now with your whinging about it, right? Frodo just whinges for like 10 straight hours of movie and it's the worst, right? And I'll tell you the best part about Lord of the Rings. Samwise, all right? Because through all of Frodo's whinging and complaining, Samwise is there. He's always there. Frodo tries to like kick him out and accuse him of stuff. And Samwise like, doo, 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 doo. but then he comes back and he saves the day because he's Samwise and he's the best. Frodo trusted that thing over Samwise. That thing. That's hectic. If you ever see something like that, probably don't trust it. It's creepy looking. Don't do it. Samwise is this like constant friend in the midst of anything, he just keeps going with Frodo because he's the bomb. Naming my kid Samwise, maybe. We'll see. But, but Samwise, right, he's this friend of constant, faithful love for Frodo no matter what happens. It's constant. And our God is a God of constant love for his people, of faithful love for his people. God doesn't give up on his people because he's loving and he's merciful. He's full of patience and compassion and goodness. He doesn't just show love, he just is love. God just is love. He embodies it in who he is. And so some of you that have these relationships around you that are broken and where you don't see love well and where you aren't shown love well, you have a God who is love for you, who at every point in time loves you. When you stuff up, He loves you and is there for you. The God of the universe loves you dearly. But there are two things, right? Our two sides the God of judgment, and the God of love. But in dealing with this for us, how can God show his judgment, which is needed because of our sin? We saw that. But how can God show his judgment and his love? Does he show one instead of the other? How do they work together? God's judgment and God's love meet at the cross. 
The crucifixion of Jesus is the moment in time where you see how God is both judgment and love. Because at the cross, our sin was being punished. Our sin was being judged. In all of its fullness, God was dealing with it. All of God's rightful anger at our sin, our rejection of Him, all of humanity's sin was directed at Jesus. And God punished Him. Because at the cross, Jesus was the one taking your sin. God had to judge sin, right? We saw that. If He didn't judge sin, He he wouldn't be trustworthy. He wouldn't be good. He'd be sweeping evil under the carpet. And so, God made a way where he could rightly judge sin. His anger at you, his anger at me, and all of our sin poured on one man, Jesus. All of it. Our church was um, struck by lightning once. It was a weird, hectic day. It got struck by lightning, right? And after that, we, uh, we put up a lightning rod on the top of somewhere, right? And what a lightning rod does is when there's lightning, instead of it just hitting wherever, the lightning rod direct gets it to hit it. And so instead of lightning just hitting anyone who's walking around, it's directed at this one point where it's safely distributed, right? That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. All of God's anger was not poured out on all people like it should be. It was pointed and directed at Jesus, where he copped the lot, where he took it willingly so that you didn't have to. He suffered once, the righteous him, for the unrighteous us. And that's why the message of Jesus being in our place on the cross is not just the message of judgment, but it's the message of love, and it's the best message of love you'll ever hear and you could ever see, because it's the the place in history where if you want to know, does God love me, does God love people, you can just look at the cross and you get the answer of yes. It's a given, because I should be there on the cross. We should all have our own crosses, where God judges us. I should be the one taking my punishment for my sin, that makes sense. We deserve that. And if you don't think you do, you're kidding yourself. But God has shown us mercy. He hasn't treated us as we deserve because he's the Holy One. He's not a man. Jesus paid your price. Jesus took your sin. Why? Why would the righteous die for the unrighteous? To bring you to God. Because he loves he constantly loves you. Like Samwise, God won't give up on you. He made you, he loves you, and he reaches out to you at the moment of the cross. You don't need to be judged if you trust in Jesus, because it's been paid for, it's already done. But you do need to make that choice, because whoever rejects Jesus won't see that love because God's anger will stay directed at you. If you you reject Jesus, then God's anger at your sin is still focused on you and not Him. So turn to Jesus. Have Him take it. That's the offer. 
The God of the universe wants to show you mercy. The God of the universe wants to show you love. That's his active choice. And so if you're not a Christian or you've been one of those people who have been sitting on the fence and putting it off, then tonight I want to urge you to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Don't leave it another hour. Don't leave it another day. Come to Jesus. You can do it right now. It doesn't take time. Just apologize to God in the quietness of your head and trust Jesus to take your sin. Don't worry about what other people think about it, right? This decision's bigger than that. Come to Jesus. And if you're a Christian, maybe a brand new one, right? But if you're a Christian, then delight in God. Froth on God. Love it, right? When you, hear, when you hear guys, like, it might be amazing. It might be people like Stephen Fry ragging on your God. You don't need to feel ashamed at that point. You never need to feel ashamed of what God is like or that maybe you're wrong in the things that you believe. You can be sure. You can stand up and say, my God is the trustworthy, good, loving God of the universe, no matter what you say. You don't have to be worried about what other people think. You're able to not need to get angry or swayed by guys like Stephen Fry or others. Instead, you can pray for them. You can pray for people like that. Ask that God would so, be so gracious as to lead people like that to know his love through Jesus. Because it's open to everyone. No one's too far gone. Pray for people like that. I'm, I'm going to get the band up now. We're about to sing. We're about to sing a song uh, about the cross, the cross of Jesus. And as we sing this song, I just want you to think in whatever place you're at, whether you're someone who didn't trust Jesus and has now wanted to do that, whether you're someone who was on the fence putting it off and has now come to trust in Jesus, whether you've been a Christian for any amount of time and you are just delighting in in God and what He's done on the cross, your heavenly Father hasn't treated you like you deserved. He has shown you mercy. He didn't give up on you. He should have. He chased you down. He reached out. He chose to suffer so that you don't have to. That was his choice and his action. He's the one who wants no one to perish. He's the one who who wants all to find life in him. He's the one who at the cross perfectly demonstrated his right judgment and love all all at the same time. So why don't you stand? Stand up. And as we sing now about the cross of Jesus, I want you to praise the God who did that for us. Amen? Amen. Let's sing.